to the NFL. Welcome to the NFL, rookie. Hello and welcome to another episode of the DWZ, that's right, the Dynasty Warzone's very own Rookie Rundown, and we have a special episode today, folks. It is the 8th and final installment of First Year Forecasting, where we are breaking down division by division the rookies coming into the NFL via skill positions. And today's guest is a fan favorite for myself, but a new one coming into your ear holes. It is my buddy Dalton. It is the first person I started podcasting with and a longtime friend from college. Dalton, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Yeah, it's going to be a fun talk. Uh, For those of you that have not been paying attention very long to my content, I am in the Kansas City area. Um, Been here for a large majority of my life, so me and Dalton are pretty accustomed to what goes on in this week's division in the AFC West, and specifically with the Chiefs. It's an exciting offense to kick us off in this division, and so as you all that have been paying attention know, we're going to be breaking down every single team in sequential order based off of win-loss record from the 2021 season, and that makes the Chiefs who won the division for the fifth straight year, the first team that we are going to be talking about, Mr. Daltino. Going into the offense, it's interesting. Andy Reid, pretty much the same thing that we've been dealing with since 2013. Prolific offense, prolific quarterback, wide receivers, typically all around. It's no surprise that they were fifth in the league in pass percentage last year at a 61% mark, with Patrick Mahomes still at the helm. He's pretty much been at the top of the quarterback market and the top of the quarterback performances over the last four years since he entered the NFL. And for the first time in that time period, he is going to be without one of his mainstays at the wide receiver position in Tyreek Hill, meaning that with Tyreek Hill, Byron Pringle, and Demarcus Robinson all leading in free agency, there are a whopping 340 vacated targets on this Chiefs offense. Where are you at right now with this wide receiver group? Are you concerned at all with who all we've lost, or do you think some of the new faces coming in might be able to make a splash in 2022? Yeah, I'm really excited to see uh, the facelift that we have here and the new faces that are part of that. Um, I think with Tyreek, sometimes there was a you know instance that they would force the ball to him uh, sometimes, or at least Patrick would. Maybe it's not written up that way, but Patrick, that's a safety net. It's not Kelsey, it's Tyreek. And so I do think sometimes he would lean on Tyreek, like the national media like loves to talk about how big of a gap there's going to be without Tyreek. And I certainly think that would be true. But I, what I'm hoping is when we like diversify this offense with new mouths to feed and people to take up those receptions. I'm hoping it just leaves the defense guessing more often than I know Tyreek's really hard to cover. And so it gets open when he shouldn't, uh, when other receivers would not, but I'm hoping having more mouths to feed is actually a good thing um, because, you know, you just, you don't know where it's going to come from, essentially. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, is not really knowing where the target's going to break up to, because we've kind of been experiencing the Michael Hardman truth experience for the last three years since he entered the league. And he's truly been in the shadow of Tyreek Hill the entirety of his career. If you remember, he was brought in as kind of a surprise pick when all the legal issues were going on with Tyreek that initial year that he was drafted. And since then, he really hasn't found his niche in the offense until 2021. He had the most successful season of his career, over 700 yards, but only two touchdowns. He actually found a true Z role where we started moving him around in the offense and getting open to where when Tyreek was covered, when Kelsey was covered, there was someone in the offense that could actually catch the ball because a lot of the Chiefs offense that people don't talk about, they always think it's very prolific because when you look at the passing stats, Patrick has put up wild numbers over the, his career thus far. But the likes of Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson haven't done pretty much anything from a accumulation standpoint as a receiver. So it's been pretty interesting to see the names that they've brought in in the form of Juju from the Steelers and MVS from Green Bay to replace two names that really haven't been anything 
you know, short of lackluster of the last three to four years with the Chiefs, with a guy who has a 1,400 yard and 14 touchdown season in Juju, and a guy in MVS who's 6'4", 215, running roughly a 4'3", 40, who although does not have the yardage stats, has had multiple seasons of six plus touchdowns for the Packers. So I think the offense overall could look a little bit better than what we've been accustomed to the last couple of years. My question marks come primarily with the running back position. So we've been dealing kind of with a committee system that we were hoping that was going to be alleviated after Jamal Charles left, but CEH, unfortunately, for your fantasy team and for our fantasy teams has not been quite what he's been pegged to be in all the hype going into his rookie season. We've lost Daryl Williams, who's kind of been godsend, for lack of better phrasing, since the likes of like a Demarcus Ware was for us. Uh, sorry, Spencer Ware, not Demarcus Ware from the Cowboys. Uh, Spencer Ware, where Daryl Williams was very productive when given the opportunity. Bring in a guy like Ronald Jones, who doesn't have the pass-catching chops of a Daryl Williams. Where are you at with the acquisition of Ronald Jones for the offense and for what we can kind of expect compared to CEH in fantasy going on this year? Yeah, as painful as it is for me to see it, uh, because like my value with uh, CEH has just decreased year after year after year. Uh, I, sh- I mean, I should have gone with Dr. Taylor just as the Chiefs should have in that fantasy draft. I had picked him first overall, unfortunately. Uh, I'm For the Chiefs' well-being as a whole, I love to see Ronald Jones. I, I really like that they brought Jeff McKinnon back. Uh, I- I'm interested to see how much CEH gets involved. I don't know if they- him and Derek McKinnon are almost playing a similar role, but Ronald Jones takes more of the carries. But I will say as far as like, the Chiefs go, uh, when they have when they don't have Jamal Charles, but they have a committee, they seem to do pretty well in, 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 you know, giving the ball to other guys. I mean, Ronald Jones also seems more like he can run through the tackles more so than some of the other backs that we've had in, since, like, what, Daryl Williams? Yeah, I mean, Daryl was the only large back that we've had in the last couple of years. You know, we've we've done some weird experiments with our draft picks over the last probably three to four years underneath Andy where we draft undersized running backs who are incapable of running power up the middle. Or playoff Damien. Yeah, playoff Damien's pretty much the only thing, but he's been bouncing around ever since playoff Damien did his thing when our you know, Super Bowl victory came about. So I do want to get back to some of the wide receivers, though. Yeah. Um, What's in my touchdown? Touchdown. So I think Juju, we kind of know what he's going to do. And we have Patrick, obviously, way different than aging ben, ben, Big Ben. I think he's going to be just fine. Anytime you bring something new into Andy Reid's system, uh, I don't know what it is. We're not behind the scenes, so, but he's just going to trust certain guys and not trust others. Um, hopefully, Juju's one of those guys just going to fit in. And they've been training, all those wide receivers have been training with Patrick Holmes for a while. Um, Early notes from like the offseason before training camp started sounded like MBS way they're talking about him like he would be like the true number one mm-hmm. and maybe that's just like, overblown stuff from the beginning. Um, so I said we, we think we know we're getting out of Juju, um, but with MBS, uh, one thing that scares me being from the Midwest, we have some Packer fans here that are living around us and <laughs> they've seen him play multiple times and they make comments about how you know sometimes he would have big drops like he would beat the, the coverage, but he wouldn't make those catches like Tyreek would. And I, I, I'm not watching the tape, so I, I can't talk about what exactly they're talking about, like each instance. But they did feel like more than not, he would drop balls and it would make maybe Aaron Rodgers not throw to him as much as he probably could have based on his skill set and his speed. And so I'm just hoping that uh, I think he'll, he'll be better than like Miko. Miko, I think, has to show a, a ton. Yeah, to uh, stake on the team next year for sure. Yeah, Miko at this point, I think, is a sunk cost and he's just kind of like, is what it is. And if he does. Sh- do really well. I mean, I think he's going to get a contract somewhere else. That would be nice for him. I mean, look what Pringle did. But, I mean, uh, I'm just hoping MVS is going to be able to catch more of those balls than what some Packer fans feel like he was able to do. Yeah, and that's also the thing, too, is Rodgers is one of those classic Hall of Fame quarterbacks where they know what they want with their offensive weapons, and once you show that you're not a reliable hands target, they'll start to stray away from you. But the thing is, 
MVS fills a very specific role as a deep threat, and that is not really what we've been using Miko as on the offense of the last 18 or so months of actual gameplay. So it's something that is pretty nice to see. I think if there's one player that kind of slides into that Tyreek role, it probably is MVS. Then that keeps Miko at a Z move position. That was that kind of gadgety role as another side receiver, which is what you were hoping for. And then we can finally have a slot receiver in Juju where if Andy pulls that weird wizardry bullcrap where he starts pulling him out for some reason, replacing people in the actual slot, you know that it's a scheme issue, not a Juju issue. Because if there's one thing that Juju can do well, it's being zoned from the slot. And him and Kelsey should be a dynamic duo. So looking at the weaponry, Personally, with the Chiefs, I think this is the closest we have been in a very long time to the potential of having three 1,000-yard receivers. I think that there is a strong potential to where we could get Juju and Kelsey easily to 1,000 yards, and then either Meikle takes a step or MBS takes a step to where one of them eclipses 1,000 yards. It hasn't been done since 2008 with the Cardinals. But I think that this team is poised to do it because Patrick's shown the ability to throw for over 5,000 yards. If you're throwing for over 5,000 yards, it takes a lot to not funnel that into three players. So I'm optimistic to see where we're at. One player that kind of sucks to talk about right now after the news specifically over the last 24 hours is Justin Ross. UEFA that we had high hopes of potentially kicking a guy that we haven't even mentioned in Josh Gordon out of the roster spot. Justin Ross came in as a UDFA. He's now... Not medically cleared this season. He's going to be sitting out all of 2022. We now have Clyde also on Pup, which is concerning, but also good for Ronald Jones. So the rookie of note that kind of, you know, takes an uptick compared to any of the other positions on the roster is Sky Moore out of Western Michigan. Do you have any outward opinion of what you're expecting from Sky Moore, his rookie season? Do you think he can find a niche in the offense? Do you think he can beat out some of these kind of underperforming guys in the NFL veteran-wise? Or do you think he's kind of relegated to a positional kind of scheme fit role during his first year? I feel like early on you could see some of that, but I do think by the end of it, he's going to be more involved than me personally because uh, Nicole is going to be kind of sunsetted. Mm -hmm. I do feel like, and, they can't, and they're not going to be able to get anything for him, I don't think. Like, he's just going to walk. Uh, so they don't have any pressure to try to, like, boost his his value necessarily. I do think that he's going to get more involved. And one, so, like, the talent is different than, like, a Brandon IU, But just from the way things played out last year, I feel like, not last year, but maybe the first year. That his rookie season. His yeah. rookie season. He wasn't doing a ton of start. And then all of a sudden, he's, like, getting 14 points. He's getting 20-some points. And then he's doing some like crazy stuff on on Sports Center and things like that. And I'm like, okay, I've got something here. I was wondering if he was gonna work out. And then he's getting really involved, and, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. And I feel like maybe he'll just get slowly eased into it. But I feel like watching his tape, some of the stuff that he provides, just athletically different than Ayuk, obviously. But mm-hmm. like he's very elusive out of his break, and he can get away from a cornerback. And with all these other guys on the field. They're going to have some of their better cornerbacks most likely to start on these other guys. And so if you have your third-string cornerback on Sky Moore, he's probably going to shake that guy a lot of the time. And then he does have a good burst of speed to get away. Uh, obviously not like MBS or like a, some of these really speedy guys, but he he, he can be elusive and, and get some more yards after the catch. So I'm really excited to see what he can do with that, and I do think he's going to be a really solid piece. Uh, I don't know if – He's our wide receiver one, but he's going to be, I think he's going to be a really nice piece for the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I think long term, we're looking at a pretty good value on what we had to give for him. He was the 13th wide receiver taken off the board, which is a screaming value for most. He was ranked higher in a lot of fantasy states, including my own rankings. Uh, but it comes to Sky Moore, the thing that I look at is that his hands, which I know it should be a little bit sketchy, the fact that I'm saying this if, based off of the optimism that both of us share, is that he might have the best hands of any of the wide receiver options outside of Travis Kelsey 
on the team right now based off of what we've seen in the NFL, which isn't really what you want to hear when you're looking at the wide receiver core for a team, but it's true. He doesn't drop balls often, so I feel like he can find a pretty good role in a similar fashion to what we were hoping a guy like Byron Pringle was able to do with the Chiefs, just hopefully more consistent with his hands to where he could lock down a starting role, potentially as the wide receiver three in this offense, and definitely going into next year where he can get out of the one-year deal of Juju Mikol is gone. You could be looking, like you said, as the wide receiver one on this team. So it's pretty exciting to see where this is going. Um, last guy on the Chiefs I want to pick your brain about is actually a sophomore in Noah Gray. So he is the backup right now at the tight end position to Travis Kelsey. Coming out of Duke last year, he didn't do a lot when it came to production-wise, but people don't actually realize that he saw over 60% of the offensive snaps last year from the tight end position. So it's something to actually consider when you're looking at the future beyond Travis Kelsey on this team. He's a guy that is getting significantly more work at the tight end position than what we typically give to those younger tight ends in an Andy Reid offense. Do you have any takes on Noah Gray? Are you excited? Do you like what you saw last year? Are you just kind of eh about him? For now, I'm kind of eh because, I mean, Kelsey just kind of sucks a lot of oxygen out of the room when he's yeah. ever on the field. But I also have heard stuff about Jordy Fortin. Yeah, I've been hearing some stuff, some noise about him getting in some involvement in training camp early on too. And so I feel like Jordy is the more athletic, right? But Noah's more of like a more bulky, like, and Mark Andrews kind of guy. Yeah, Noah plays in a very similar capacity to what Kelsey plays like. I would say that Jordy Fortson is definitely a wide receiver converted into a tight end. Okay, fair enough. So, I mean, I would say long-term you probably won't know Gray then, um, and he definitely has the pedigree too. So yeah. um, I, I thought we were just going to see how it plays out because yeah. without Kelsey, like, got rid of an injury or something like that, you're not going to see what you can open up into being. So. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I was just wanting to pick a brand on a guy that a lot of people aren't talking about, and that went very late in a lot of fantasy drafts, i.e. usually UDFA for a lot of fantasy drafts last year. But a team that probably got the biggest facelift out of any team in the NFL outside of maybe the Eagles last year with the talent that they brought in is the Las Vegas Raiders. They're coming in with a new head coach slash awesome offensive coordinator in Josh McDaniel. Um, he has been flirting with an offensive coordinator position on other teams as well as a head coaching position. Um, he was the, actually the former head coach of the Broncos, flamed out horrifically, and then went crawling back to Bill Belichick in New England. But his offense last year was the 26th in pass percentage with Mac Jones at the helm in New England. Um, the difference is he has Derek Carr, who is quite a bit more of a seasoned vet than what we dealt with with Mac Jones last year. What is interesting with the team is they do have 234 vacated targets, but the fact is they brought in some big boys this offseason in the trade acquisition of Mr. Devontae Adams, as well as the addition of a guy like Keelan Cole from, you know, kind of a positional role, a deep threat more than anything from the Jets and Jaguars before that. And then Jesper Horstead as a move tight end. They lost the likes of their backup quarterback in Marcus Mariota, Zay Jones, who actually blew up a little bit in fantasy spaces last year with his consistent target share. And then the aging veteran who just kind of signed, I'm assuming for publicity reasons and Deshaun Jackson at this point. But looking at the team, you're now looking at a wide receiver core slash target core of Monte Adams, Darren Waller, and Hunter Renfro. You have two top 20 wide receivers that we saw over the last calendar year in the NFL, and you have one of the most prolific tight ends in general, basically in the NFL. So when you're looking at this offense right now with Derek Carr and with a new offensive coordinator who is well and far above the average when it comes to actually positioning his wide receivers and his quarterbacks to succeed in the NFL. I'm very optimistic for Derek Carr's out in 2022. Where are you at with Carr specifically with this new look offense in the Raiders? Yeah, I think Devonta Adams' comments about moving from one all-time quarterback to the next is a little bit crazy. And I think a lot of wide receivers have been moving around and then, you know, being hyperbolic in the way that they're talking about their quarterbacks to you know, build that relationship and things like that and make them look good and stuff like that, make them feel good going into the season. Uh, I, I think it's going to be awesome for Derek Carr. 
I do think Derek Carr is, you know, pretty solid amongst the ranks of the NFL. I mean, God, what do you, what do you, I feel like he kind of reminds me, I mean, I just say generally like Kirk Cousins, where it's like, I mean, it could be good, but like, do they ever get it done when it matters the most? So. Yeah, and when you look at those two quarterbacks, they're very similar statistical-wise, what they've put up in the NFL. The difference with a Derek Carr from Kirk Cousins, to me specifically, is the offensive talent that Kirk Cousins has had around him compared True. to what Derek Carr has had. This is the first time where you have an offensive coordinator with the offensive firepower around him, including Josh Jacobs in the backfield, which you can say what you want about Josh Jacobs, but he has two top 12 running back seasons as a fantasy asset in his three years in the NFL. Very nice stats to have. Um, it's the best group of receivers and honestly talent all across the board that he's had and their defense is no slouch with some of the uh you know the defensive line and linebackers that they brought in so i'm excited to see what Derek carr can put up um what where do you think Devonte adams is as an asset he's aging he's 28 gonna be 29 at the end of the season you're looking at a new quarterback for the first time he does not have a first ballot hall of flame or throwing him the ball you have Derek carr throwing it he's very accurate but i i have trouble seeing Devonte adams getting the 160 targets that he typically gets in Aaron Rodgers' offense with the fact that he's going to be competing with the true safety valve in Hunter Renfro from the slot position and just a monster from a tight end position in Darren Waller. Where are you at with Devontae Adams for 2022? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. I, I do think... I feel like also when you take a wide receiver that's just like so phenomenal in one system and then you just like transplant them into the next system, it doesn't always work out. It's kind of similar example, but also older. It's like when you put Julio Jones, and he got a lot of injuries last year, yeah. but you just like put him on there with um, Brian Brown. Taylor. Well, yeah, yeah Taylor, Taylor and Brown. Brown. And you're like, oh my god, this is just so so much firepower. They got Derrick Henry in the backfield. Like, how are they gonna ever deal with this? And you know, Julio had a few games where he got you know some good catches, but I I don't think though it's gonna be the same like with Julio or anything like that. I do think he's gonna be more involved, but. Hunter Renfro, I totally forgot about him. I'm glad you brought him up. I do think, yeah, that's going to suck up some targets. Um, and then, obviously, Waller is going to definitely suck up some targets. So, um, I mean, when Amari was on the team, I feel like you could maybe expect kind of some of that uh, yeah. usage, like where he's going to get – he's going to have some big plays, but, like, can they feed him the ball consistently all the time? And, like, I don't know. It's the whole transplant thing. It's like yeah, they, they're trying to work him in, but it's not like his identity came – from inside the organization and they always had him there and he always was the proven number one there. Um, it's like they got to shine a new car and they got to like work out how it's going to be in the fleet. They have the the F-150, mm-hmm. um, what we call Hunter Renfro. We, we have a little Subaru WRX, little, you know, get it done every day in the mud. But now they have the sports car and sometimes you just want to drive your F-150 to work and you don't <laughs> want to drive the Corvette. So. Yeah. No, and, and that's a perfect analogy for me because we talked a little bit about the pass-to-run ratio that we were dealing with the Josh McDaniels offense in general. And when you were looking at this team, Josh Jacobs has been an extremely productive running back. So this team typically has worked through the run. You're bringing in a head coach that predicates his system on running the ball first as opposed to anything else. So you're looking at a running back that although does not get completely peppered with targets, it's a consistent amount. There is a RB2 on the team in Kenyon Drake that although coming back from a ankle injury from last year was one of the most heavily targeted running backs in the league of the last three years when you look at the stint in miami and in arizona as well as a true grinder in zamir white out of georgia and it's just hard for me to see it and so you i mean i feel like we're kind of on the same page here and thinking that Devontae adams might not be a top 12 wide receiver this year with a different quarterback which is extremely spicy when you look at the ranks for a lot of other people but i have my doubts i think that the offense is gonna be a lot more productive but i think that there's gonna be a lot more spreading of wealth around this offense as opposed to true namestays breaking out and 
The only thing that can really combat that for me is the fact that this entire division is probably just going to be nothing but shootouts when it comes to divisional games. So playing six games of just absolute quarterback massacres, basically, is pretty interesting to me. But the offense in general is something that I'm paying a lot of attention to and I'm investing in because the cost for a lot of these guys in the offense are deflated based off of the fact that Devontae Adams came in at the wide receiver position. You can get them cheaper than what you could have gotten them last year. And... They're probably going to produce at that level, if not higher, outside of the extreme ceiling that we're hoping them for. So that's where I'm at with the Raiders. Do you have an overall take? Do you think that they can still come in as the number two team in the division? Or do you think the Broncos or Chargers, who we haven't talked about yet, have a chance to easily jump over them? I think the Chargers are over them. And I think other defenses in the AFC West have improved, too, because they're trying to keep up with Patrick Mahomes and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But I do personally think that Devontae could still crack the top 10 just because of how good Derek Carr can be. But I do think there's going to be some down games and um, some weeks where you're like, oh my God, I drafted Devontae Adams at what? And this is what I got for my wide receiver one. I mean, I'm assuming that's probably where you're drafting him because his pedigree. And you'll be disappointed. Uh, I think other weeks he'll be exactly what was promised for sure. Because again, it is Derek Carr and he will be accurate enough to get him the ball. Um, but I think the Raiders eventually Raider uh, every year they <laughs> They, not wrong. They've, they've improved from where they used to be, certainly, but um, they, they just always find a way to kind of choke things. They, they almost didn't even get out of that game with the Chargers. I think the Chargers should have honestly beaten them. I think they will beat them out this year. Yeah, and I mean, that's a perfect segue to talk just about the Chargers right now. They are coming into the second year underneath Joe Lombardi as the offensive coordinator, where last year they were third in pass percentage at 61.5%, even higher than what the Chiefs were. They're rocking Justin Herbert, who was a godsend the quarterback position outside of Patrick Mahomes. And they have kind of a middling amount of vacated targets with 132. Their vacated carries are basically just, uh, you know, just kind of transitional rotational backs that are no longer on the field for them. But they have brought in... Gerald Everett on offense, for the first time, they have a tight end, I feel like, underneath Justin Herbert, who can truly succeed, who's younger, athletic, and can really open up the middle of the field for the other options. But what they have lost is Justin Jackson, their true backup running back. Luckily, with their draft selection, they brought in a guy that, including myself, was in the top three of a lot of running back rankings prior to the NFL draft, and Isaiah Spiller out of Texas A&M, as a true kind of three-down back to hopefully spell and get quite a bit of work behind Eckler. Um, That's where I want to start with the offense. Where are you at with Austin Eckler? Um, this is actually a fun fact for anyone who doesn't know. I don't think that I've actually brought this up before, but one of our very good friends, Adam, is actually cousins with Austin Eckler. Um, he goes to family reunions with him, etc. That whole jazz. So that's just a fun little, uh, fun little spiel for you. But um, this running back group has been screaming for an RB two. They've been dealing with the likes of Larry Roundtree, Justin Jackson, uh, the guy in. Why I'm blanking, John Kelly. There's a bunch of nobody names, really, that have averaged, if you look over the stats of the last two years, under three yards per carry as a collective behind Austin Eckler, who's kind of been explosive in the only true option that they've had out of backfield. And unfortunately, Eckler has dealt with injuries over the last couple of years, so they need a guy who can spell him to hopefully keep him away from injuries. And just in general, when he does go down, which is extremely likely in a similar capacity of CMZ when it comes to workload, be productive when they do hop in there. And I think Isaiah Spiller could be that guy for this offense. He was a fourth round pick, so they didn't spend a very high pick on him. But where are you at with the running game in general? Do you think that they could be as successful as they were last year? Do you think Isaiah Spiller kind of is a little bit of an injection that they didn't have last year? Or are you just kind of waiting to see with this offense? Where are you at with the running game? Yeah, so I guess I'll take it from the top a little bit from losing Jared Cook, who I felt like was kind of falling off from where he came from the Raiders. Inject Gerald Everett got some play with the Rams when he had he had some good games with them for sure. 
I do think if he's fully integrated, he should take away some targets that maybe Eckler would see. I think a lot of what Eckler does, too, is on his own shoulders, too, and that's what makes him great. Um, but for a long time, I feel like when you get to the fantasy draft and you're late rounds, Justin Jackson for a long time was like a sexy late-round pick, mm-hmm. a late-round like backup, because you always expected Eckler, tiny body, you know, a lot of usage. He's going to get injured at some point. Almost what we wanted CEH to do for us. Yes, and very similar. Has not been involved that same way, unfortunately. But um, I, I want to say, like, I feel like there should be some regression from Eckler because of how ridiculous he's been the last two years. And he just, like, made the Chiefs defense, like, look ridiculous multiple times. We're just like, you guys can't figure out how to guard that guy. I do think it's awesome that they did keep, for them at least, that they kept Mike Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was big. Uh, they also obviously have Keenan Allen. Um, so they can really stretch it. In every space at this point, they have good they have good players and you know pretty good at, at every spot. But I just feel like I feel like regression. I feel like it's been too good, too long. I don't know much about Isaiah Spiller. Uh, maybe he's the sexy new name to pick up late rounds yeah. as a backup. But um, I mean, having Herbert um, kind of passing the ball. I mean, I don't know how much he plays into the you know checkdowns to Eckler and things like that. He does it, he does it quite a bit. Eckler had over a 65% snap share from the running back position. And Eckler, basically about 60% of his <laughs> overall fantasy production comes from the passing game. So that is actually what a guy like Justin Herbert will do when it's needed. But they are looking for a guy who can actually run the ball. And that's what they've had issues for specifically. So I, I, I'm with you. Uh, it's definitely... I, I'm with you when it comes to the regression on Eckler. I don't think he's going to be as productive as he's been in the last basically two years in this offense. It's not really sustainable as a per-touch basis. It's the same kind of argument that I have against a CMC this year with the injuries, with the constant use in this offense. It's just not really sustainable. You kind of have to draw it back. And there's been reports that Eckler wants to have his workload drawn back, which is smart from a running back. It's the same reason that Debo Samuel doesn't want to be slammed up the gut as a wide receiver. Uh, that amount of wear and tear on your body really will catch up to you. So, How old is he? Like, in my mind, oh, he's like 28. Uh, Eckler's 27, I believe. 27. Yes. So he's younger than I expected. I mean, he's getting up in age for running back. That's in running back terms, basically. So like, yeah. that's things like people were trying to jump off of Dalvin Cook last year, and he just turned 26 last year. So it, it's one of those things where you're looking at an Eckler, and it's like, all right, I get it. It's an aging asset. But I, I mean, in the same capacity... Eckler's one of those fantasy assets where it's very similar to James White, where James White was literally like 28 years old and had a top 12 fantasy season. So it's just one of those things where it's like, this is the type of player that can produce, but it has to be a very specific offense that checks down off in the running back position with Justin Herbert at the helm with another running back coming in who's competent significantly more than the two running backs he's replacing in Isaiah Spiller and the resurgence of the talent, hopefully a step forward in Josh Palmer and Gerald Everett coming in. I think this is going to be a pass-heavy offense in a similar capacity to last year. So unless the pace of play is astronomical in the top five, which is kind of hard to assume for any offense, I, I just don't see the pass load work for an Austin Eckler in this division specifically that predicates itself on explosive, fast, run down the running back linebackers. So that's where I'm at with them. Do you, do you have a take on Josh Palmer? Are you familiar with Josh Palmer very much out of Tennessee from last year? Not really. Uh, I know I know who you're talking about, but no, not so much. I think he was like on the board in Dynasty, and I was close to drafting him. Or... Yeah, and, and so that's the thing. He's at Tennessee. He didn't really do anything at Tennessee. He was very underwhelming. And so when he was drafted last year in the third round by the Chargers, there was a huge, like, classic fantasy dynasty space where everyone's like, wait, who's this guy? Why is he being drafted? What's happening to the casual fan? And when you look last year, really didn't do much for the dynasty purposes in the Chargers offense, but he still is slated 
right there as the wide receiver three in this offense and on a team that I expect to pass just as much, if not more, as they did last year, specifically down the field, as more and more people become accustomed to Joe Lombardi's offense. Josh Palmer's a guy that I'm keeping my eye on this year. I was low on him last year, but he's more of like that post-hype sleeper that you tend to target very cheap after the first year to where in this offense, give me a piece on the reg that's extremely cheap that has the option to far exceed their offensive output from last year. But I agree with the Gerald Everett, um, specifically in the red zone, the touchdowns are something I'm looking at for Everett. But this offense is the one that I think that can push the Chiefs maybe the most. But the next team we're going to talk about is actually the team that I'm the most concerned about. And it's based off of who they brought in at the quarterback position. And that's the Denver Broncos. They were at the bottom house of the division at 7-10, and 10, which is pretty wild when you think about that being the bottom of the division at 7-10 and 10 last year. But they had a new head coach, Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, coming from the Packers last year. They were the middle of the road when it comes to pass-to-run ratio at 57% pass. That puts them at 16th in the NFL, but they brought in Russell Wilson. Uh, I have it aptly noted in our notes as Russell Williams. Uh, Dalton pointed it out for me earlier, but it is Russell Wilson in Indeed, Mr. Unlimited running this offense. They have zero vacant carries and only 110 vacated targets, but this offense is pretty much an upgrade from the running back position. But status quo when it comes to wide receiver, there, there's a lot of people that would argue that the wide receiver core of a Corbin Sutton, Jerry Judy, and Tim Patrick is better than just a DK, Tyler Lockett, and the no-name wide receiver three from the Seattle Seahawks that they've been dealing with for the last four years. Um, it was Freddie Swain slash D. Eskridge last year, who I think they combined like 300 yards, if that, last year. So when you're looking at this offense, they have a running back core in Javante Williams, and they brought back Melvin Gordon, who's probably the most disrespected running back in the NFL when it comes to his actual production output for your fantasy teams. This is the team that I think takes the largest leap out of any team in the NFL this year. And I know a lot of people are kind of hesitant due to Nathaniel Hackett's lack of head coaching capability. And they have a lot of say as to Aaron Rodgers being the true driving force to the offense in Green Bay, which is completely fair when you're talking about a first ballot Hall of Famer. But when it comes to the system, you just kind of have to let Russ do what he needs to do. You need to provide him with a stable running back core, which this is beyond stable in Javante and Gordon, and give him the option to throw the ball, which you have one of the greatest separators from a statistical standpoint that we have seen in college and in his first two years in Jerry Judy in the NFL and a big-bodied option on the outside in Cortland Sutton who can mirror a lot of what we saw from DK Metcalf just with a slight asterisk of he doesn't run a 4-3. So where are you at with the Broncos offense specifically? Are you scared? Because this, I feel like this is the first year, probably in the last five years since Peyton, oh, I guess it would be almost seven years since Peyton Manning, where I'm a little bit concerned about the games where we're going against the Broncos. Where are you at with them? Yeah, I mean, Russell's found a couple ways to beat the Chiefs over the years in Seattle, too, and so he's kind of had our number. Uh, there's a lot of different mix and matchings that are, like, brand new to the team, so I think that needs to gel first. I don't know when we play them first. Hopefully it's early on so we can kind of get one on them uh, early on before they maybe have figured it out. Russell's a little bit older, so the legs aren't at – they're not Kyler Murray legs like they used to be, uh, if they ever were that fast by any means. Um, but I definitely think I'm going to upgrade all of the wide receivers, for like for sure Sutton, for sure Judy. I'm loving that for them. Uh, Noah Fan, I want to see what he can do. Um, he he has a lot of promise, a lot of upside. Um, Noah no Fan's in Seattle now. Oh, he's out. Yeah, he's yeah, out. he's out. So we're just dealing with Albert O and then a rookie in Greg Dulcich, which I'll chat with you about a little bit after you keep Interesting. Going. Okay, so we'll have to see what they do from the tight end perspective. That's a good guess to <laughs> – <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's the one weak spot in offense that I would play out is the tight end position with Albert and Greg Bulsage. <sighs> Just because Russell's going to – I've been kind of down on Russell, like, moving to the mm. Broncos. I do think, like, the Broncos' defense 
was above like better than yeah. people expected. So that definitely helps him out as far as like the whole game goes and like scheme goes for sure. I love Javante Williams too. Um, I I mean you, you hyped up Melvin Gordon, but like I think Javante is also mm. awesome for them and maybe hasn't completely shown like a breakout year yet. But yeah, I mean he was almost a perfect fifty fifty split when it came to snatching mm-hmm. Melvin Gordon last year, and he was still a top twenty four running back. I wouldn't be surprised. Everybody loves to hate on Melvin, and I feel like he could get faded from it. But um, I don't know. I just feel like I, I'm not huge on Russell right now. I don't know. I'm feeling like it's gonna be a, it's gonna fall apart. But on the upside, I feel like I'm getting big time Raider vibes from the Broncos. I don't know what to expect out of this coach because I've really never seen him, mm. and I don't see it coach games with the uh, with the Green Bay Packers very. Yeah, because he, he's never called plays. Gotcha. So. I don't know, man. I mean, Russell's got some intangibles for sure. I feel like they do give me big-time Raider vibes where they like are pretty promising. I just feel like there's two more complete teams in the division than them. Um, like They have major upside, and they look better than they have in a long time for sure, especially if you don't have Trelock as your quarterback. But I just feel like they give me big-time Raider vibes um, where I don't ex- – like if they go to the playoffs and lose in the first round, that would be about as good as I expect them to do. Um could they take games off the Chiefs? I think that could certainly happen, and that sucks. Um, but I feel like the biggest threat is Herbert and how wily they are going on fourth down and shit like that. They just played a game a little different than everybody else. Mm. They scare me the most. Um, I definitely think it's going to be like one of the most challenging years as a Chiefs player and a Chiefs fan, for sure, going against these teams. But um, I don't know. I'm you, you have them big upside. I'm like very mild on them. I'm, not like thinking they're gonna like break the world. I feel like Russell's gonna not do as hot. <laughs> not be Mr. Unlimited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, this is a team that's very interesting to me. Like I said, I, I I'm kind of leaning into the upside just because I feel like it's the same status quo when it comes to the offense and specifically the offensive weapons that Russell Wilson has dealt with in his career with a slight uptake in the running game. The the big difference for me is the defense. They have a lot of big name players on the defensive side of the ball that could succeed for this defense. Um the biggest question comes in how much is the success of the last couple of years in the close games the Broncos have been able to stay into based off of their defense on their former head coach, Vic Fangio, who is for, yeah, a defensive coordinator, one of the best defensive coordinators in the last decade. And so that's something I am watching. When it comes to the defensive side of the ball, um, I would, I, I mean, based off of the, uh, the acquisitions in this free agency period, the Chiefs and the Broncos are probably at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, just because of the otherworldly talent that, the Chargers went on with their um, spring spree this offense uh, offseason and then bringing in Chandler Jones on the Raiders defensive line to pair up with a Max Crosby who was already a big name on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm looking at the Raiders. Um, we touched on it a little bit, but when you're looking at the Broncos tight end position, Alberto has kind of been underwhelming. He's a red zone threat, but not a field stretcher. They bring in Greg Dulcich, who ran the third fastest 40 at the combine this year from the position. It's in right about 6'4", six, 6'4 uh, six, almost 6'5", right around that 250 range, and a guy that has extremely smooth routes and extremely smooth hands. So I, that's a guy I'm looking to kind of take a step and potentially push Alberto for that tight end position going in this year. And he's the only true rookie on this team that I'm keeping my eyes out for. Um, he's out of UCLA. Do you know a lot about Greg Dulcich, or is he kind of a newer name for you? Definitely newer, and I thought I'd be throwing him on my taxi squad to start. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's one of those guys where Russ doesn't have a huge propensity to lean on the tight ends when it comes to the 20-20 range, but when it comes to the red zone, he actually does target them at a higher rate than most of the NFL does. I think he's been top 10 in his career, if I'm not mistaken, on that number. But when you're looking at this offense in general, this is the one 
unquestionable position for me. It's the tight end position. So this is one where we may see them, you know, re-up again in the draft next year, or if they see flashes from a guy like Dulcich and Albert O., once they have the mainstay away from a guy like Noah Fant, who was a very early pick, it can be interesting to kind of see how this whole offense rounds out in the division. Yeah, and so, I mean, I think also, like, if you're check the Vegas odds, they were the ones that moved the needle the most by bringing in Russell. Devontae didn't move it for the Raiders hardly at all. Uh, the things the Chargers did didn't really move it at all for them. This moved it for the Broncos. Um, one question I have that I'm pretty naive on is, like, where do you feel like the offensive line is for the Broncos? Because... For me, it's like Russ's legs are a little bit older. Mm -hmm. Like, how much can he scramble around and extend plays? Like, that's a big part of his game. And, you know, you got to respect that when you're playing defense against it. I really want to see how much he can open up Portland Sutton and Jerry Judy because I've seen Jerry Judy catch a couple long passes. Portland Sutton feels like he's, like, over the middle or short range to me a lot of the time that I've seen him playing. Uh, How much can he boost them, and does he have the time to throw to them um, like he had maybe in the past and – offensive lines in the past Seahawks like do you feel like it's gonna protect him enough to get the ball to him a lot or yeah when it, when it comes to the offensive line Seattle actually over the last three years has been bottom five and last year they were the second worst rated PFF offensive line so there's pretty much no way to go down from what Russ has been dealing with from an offensive line standpoint so I believe the Broncos were somewhere around the 18 to 20 range when it comes to the offensive lines so that's still an uptick of basically 10 teams from what you were dealing with with the Seattle Seahawks um as long as it's, again, status quo for Russell Wilson when it comes to the line, it doesn't get worse than what he's been dealing with. Last year was the first time that he missed any time his entire career. He's been extremely productive, albeit inconsistent game-to-game in his career. But as a player in moving in the offense, when he's given the opportunity and has a supporting cast, he can succeed. So that's kind of where I'm at on the Denver Broncos in general. Um, are, they, are they your basement dweller still in the division? Do you think they're going to finish fourth again this year? No, I don't think that necessarily because I said Raiders are going to Raider yeah. eventually. So yeah, they made the play- even though they made the playoffs. Um, man, it's so hard to tell. I mean, I feel like I don't want to pick a fourth. I want to pick <laughs> a third and a tie for third yeah. and then uh, two tops. Uh, I do think it's going to really depend on like how much can Russ open up those wide receivers. And then they have probably the second best, um, I mean, maybe even the first best like names, like big mm. name running backs, like one-two punch, even though Melvin Gordon's older. He's still pretty shifty and oh, yeah. still very usable. Yeah, I don't think that's a question at all. They have the best running back out of it's like them and the Raiders, right? Best. Yeah, yeah, by far. So if they can open that passing game up and really like get to work there, then I think, um, I mean, they don't have to tie in, but they have the running backs to get in the mix too, and then you, you're taking it from all sides at that point, and yeah. then Russ could also just bust one off on you. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to pick between them and the Raiders, honestly. Uh, I'm putting the nails to you. All right, give me the division. Break down from who do you think is going to win to who do you think is in fourth place, first to fourth. Where are you at? If you had to bet on it right now, where are you at? I'm still going to have to pick the Chiefs just because Andy Reid. Um, the squirrely shit that the Chargers do, I just feel like they are so dangerous going for fourth down. Like, I don't know how they didn't win that playoff game or that wild or going into the wild card, like to, to make a wild card game against the Raiders. I don't know how they didn't pull it off. And it was absolutely electric watching that game, knowing there was a tie involved too. Um, but I just still feel like they got head on show there. Um, it's a, definitely a new mix for Patrick to deal with, but I think it will make him better in the long run too, you know, having a lot more different weapons, but maybe the quality is more spread out for them. And I do think Ronald Jones is going to be very solid. I think that's like a very overlooked thing for most, I don't know if most chief fans are even like recognizing what they have with Ronald Jones yet because He's all the way down in Tampa for a long time and pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been very, very consistent in between the tackles, but he's got stone hands, yeah. so he can't catch the ball. Right but you've got two guys that can catch it if you need to. So yeah. um, Then I would say Chargers, I feel like they are just 
Um, they scare them. They scare me the most for sure. Um, but I will see how many times that I, I think they're just going to mow down people that are out of the division. Yeah. Um, they're very scared of me. They, I yeah. can just see them just getting on a rip roaring start. The Chargers defense is by far the best defensive unit in the AFC West for me. It's not really close because they, you gotta remember they got Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa on the defensive line right now. They brought in a linebacker yeah. convert. They brought in the highest name free agent safety in JC Jackson on top of another corner to pair on the outside with Verrett. So they're, they're just kind of very, they're the most well-rounded team. Very well-rounded. I think the Chiefs are getting getting there for sure because of all the draft picks that yeah. they've had. And I thought they had some really nice draft picks. And I think they need to keep going back to the well on the defensive draft picks for sure because if you have Tom Brady held Super Bowl two one, you won a lot of games uh, low scoring, um, you know, in scores. So yeah. it was because the defense was so spectacular. I would say after that, um, I'm going to go against my previous take maybe <laughs> and say I think the Denver Broncos could finish their third and maybe get in a wild. Well, I guess. Can't have two. I guess in a weird way, you could have three get into the playoffs. Mm. But um, I feel like the Raiders with that head coach, I just I do not respect that head coach of theirs. And so I feel like we'll see what Nathaniel Hackett can do. And they got Russ, uh, and the Raiders just somehow seem to fall apart uh, on their own doing and combust eventually. And I feel like just having a sexy wide receiver normally doesn't like pull the whole team up. Um, so I, I feel like. They're maybe well more well-rounded. They have a good defense and things like that. I see Denver Broncos at three, and then I have Raiders at four. Yeah, that's fair. I see this division very similarly to what we've kind of dealt with with the AFC North and the NFC East as of late, where yes. there's going to be a lot of cannibalism happening in the interdivision games for the first time, I feel like, for the Chiefs in the last couple of years underneath the Andy Reid regime. And so you're going to be seeing very close records at the end of season but i think it's gonna be a very tight pack this is an addition i wouldn't blink twice at at seeing three teams in the afc side of the playoffs two wildcard teams maybe a divisional and a bye team uh, but it's very interesting to see where we're at with the afc west at the end of the season i think i'd be probably pretty similar to you um i this is the first year that i'm actually concerned about the chargers potentially taking a division from us and that's just due to the fact that their defense um i feel like there's gonna be a lot of shootouts and when it comes to close games we've seen that we've kind of squeaked out due to luck as opposed to our defense truly stepping up and with the chargers with their offensive and defensive side of the balls i feel like they're the only team in the division that can truly step up and stop a team when it comes to it um but this has been a fun chat with you man it's always good to get you back on the podcasting realm it's kind of been a different take from a you know a tried and true afc fan as you've been your entire life but as always my lovely people on the other side of this podcast i'm dallas you can find me on twitter at salad galore that is dallas with two l's backwards galore and until next week have a great time when we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. We won a game yesterday. And if we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak.